0: Heavenly Father, we're grateful for men and women who sacrificed their lives for the sake of others. We thank you for giving us that gift. Thank you for uh, the folks that have given their lives for the sake of our country, for the sake of us to be able to worship here in this place. Thank you for their sacrifice. Lord, many of them have been through difficult situations. We pray for healing for wounds, uh, for um, healing for inside too. For their, that you would just go before them and encourage them comfort them in their sorrows encourage them with the fact that they are appreciated they're loved and uh, that we, we know the sacrifice that, they, that it took for us to be here today um, God thank you for answering our prayers thank you for uh, the good news about Allie Dorothy thank you that she's home from the hospital pray that you continue to touch her heart or touch her body and heal her continue to encourage them Pray for all those in our congregation who may be struggling with health issues, financial issues, relational issues, God, that you would encourage, that you would strengthen, that you would provide and that you would care for, that you would give courage and that you would give grace to those that need it. Lord God, we pray for the, Chris, uh, the Women's Christmas event that's coming up, that as the tables are filling up, as the, the names are being written, that uh, God, that it won't just be names, but that you'd be calling folks, women that need to hear your your message, women that need to belong to your body, that they would, they would come and that they would find healing, that they would find grace, that they would find forgiveness in your name. And so, God, we pray that this would just be a wonderful event that would draw many to you. Pray that you'll be glorified in what we say and that what we do today as we open your word. God, that you would speak to us, that you would uh, remove me, the messenger, and that we'd hear from your Holy Spirit and that we would learn from your word, that we would apply it and that we would live it that we'd be shining examples, that we'd be lights to those around us. We just thank you for your goodness in our lives, for your saving power. Thank you that you take us weak and, and worthless human beings and you make us into children of yours and prized possessions of, your, of you, Father. Uh, bless us today as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. If, if you're able and you would like to, please stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be reading uh, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1 again this week and going all the way down to first part of verse 14. Ephesians chapter 5, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you, As is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. Amen, you may be seated. So today's title is Walk as Light. Light and darkness do not coexist. Now Paul has been taking us through a a section of putting off the old and putting on the new. When Paul wrote this letter, there was no chapter verse divisions. So the thought that he started back in verse 1 of chapter 4, walk worthy of the calling... And then when he said in verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 17, no longer walk as the Gentiles. And then in chapter 5, verse 2, walk in light, love as Christ loved. They're all tied together in one message. One hortatory argument. The purpose of the second half of the letter to Ephesians is to highlight the differences between life before and life after Christ. To contrast the broader Ephesian culture, the way in which the Ephesians believers used to live, and the way in which the follower of Jesus is now to live. The church in Ephesus still remained in pagan Ephesus. They lived in it day and night. They worked in the city, they raised their families there, they took their leisure there, they had friends and acquaintances there. In the center was the temple to Artemis, tall and inviting. It was reminiscent of the old way of life, the old pleasures, the old game. Idolatry continued. Ships continued to come in and off the sea with goods from around the world. Temptations and old habits pulled at them to continually go back to their old ways. The old ways of doing business, the old ways of entertaining themselves, the old ways of getting finances, the old ways of worshiping, the old ways of indulging in pleasures. So this small band of Jesus followers needed to be reminded of what made them distinct from everyone around them. They need to be reminded of what Paul had already taught them when he was in their midst and what they already knew to be true. What was true of them now? That they were in Christ and what the acceptable behavior for a follower of Jesus was in light of those truths. So here's a reminder of what was true of them and what is true of us today if we're in Christ. This is the whole first three chapters that we've been talking about. We were once pursuing the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of, the, of our fleshly bodies, following the course of this world and the principle of the power of the air. We were strangers, we were aliens, outcasts, separated from God and without hope in the world. We were sinners, we were proud, we were arrogant and we were blasphemous. But now, through the riches of God's grace because of Jesus' death on the cross, we are saved from sin and death and Satan and we are alive in Christ seated with him in heavenly places. Our sins are forgiven. We are adopted into the new family, with God Almighty being our Father. We are God's inheritance, and as such, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We who were once alienated and far off are now unified with each other and with God through the blood of Christ. Now we are one with Jesus, and he indwells each of us. We are the church, the assembly of Christ which itself is the manifestation of the wisdom and foreknowledge of God. We are a living temple, the dwelling place of God. We are loved by Jesus with a love that is surpassing all knowledge and his powers in us and working through us to change us and to use us in the world. This is what they knew and what we know to be true of who we are. Because of all this, as followers of Jesus, God asks us to live lives that are distinct, that are different, that are holy, This means that we put off the old self and we put on the new self. We live lives of holiness and we live lives of love. We hold to a standard of purity. I lost my spot. We hold to a standard of purity while maintaining a culture of grace. We are in the world but we're not of it. We live as light in the world of darkness. Now last week we talked about the love of Jesus. Jesus' love is selfless love. Jesus' love is worshipful. It's sacrificial and it's unconditional. And there's a new standard of relating to one another. And that standard is the love as set by Jesus. And what we will talk about today, keep in mind that the love of Jesus is the lens through which we look at this, all these topics that we talk about. It was the first three verses or first two verses that we read today. Now Paul will bring up certain behaviors which the Ephesian church needed to stay away from. He sheds light on what is unacceptable behavior in order to present the contrast. What is acceptable behavior? Now, some of the things that he mentions may make some of us a little uncomfortable. However, if we will not discuss these things in church, then we and our children end up confused as to what is true and what is not. We receive information all week long via social media and TV and advertisements and music and friends at school and teachers and government leaders and sports players most of it's not true. And it's all very confusing. If we shy away from the truth because we're uncomfortable about talking about it, then what will be remembered is what is loudest and most consistently heard. So we need to renew our minds to the truths of God's word. So first of all, Paul tells us where we came from. We were darkness. So we should put off our old self and put on our new self. Now other than Paul the Ephesian church had precious few Christian examples to follow. Imagine how confusing, how difficult, how noticeable it must have been for them to live Christian lives in the pagan culture of Ephesus. They were refusing the things their society determined were acceptable and expected behaviors. Instead of following Artemis, the goddess, like everyone else, they followed Jesus. Instead of indulging in sexual promiscuity, They practiced purity within the confines of marriage. They were not crude or filthy in the way they talked. They were different. Their values were different. Their standards were different. Just because a society says a behavior is acceptable doesn't make it acceptable behavior. So in parts of the city where I used to work, it seemed to be completely acceptable to drive your car in the bike lane at at levels exceeding that of the cars in the right lane of traffic. In many third world countries, it's completely acceptable to throw your trash out the window on the side of the road. Now, those acceptable behaviors in those environments, in those contexts, are not acceptable in ours. One is dangerous and life-threatening. The other, we would say, is environmentally a hazard and it's filthy. We could say that we have knowledge that those behaviors are harmful, dangerous, and not proper. As followers of Jesus and members of God's family, we adhere to a new standard, a new commandment to love. This love is not based on feelings, but on truth and action. It is focused on others. It is worshipful. It is sacrificial. It is unconditional. Selfish behaviors that were acceptable before are no longer acceptable anymore. We have a new knowledge from God that our previous behaviors are harmful and dangerous, hazardous to the environment and they're filthy. They're out of place and they're improper for followers of Jesus. The ways of our old self are dangerous and harmful to ourselves and to others. The way of our old self are hazardous to the environment and they're filthy. So this applies to three areas, to sexual immorality, to covetousness, and to vulgar speech. So first of all, sexual immorality and impurity. Verses three and five. Paul says this, but sexual immorality and all impurity Or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among saints. If you skip down to verse 5, it says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now just like it was in Ephesus, sexual immorality is unfortunately an acceptable behavior in our society. The word sexual immorality used here by Paul would include all kinds It would include adultery and fornication and homosexuality, lesbianism, bestiality, and everything in between. Anything outside of a monogamous marriage relationship between a biological male and a biological female. Paul says that acceptable behaviors in the world are not acceptable for us. There's a difference. The Spirit has shown us that these behaviors are dangerous and life-threatening. We know that they are hazardous to the environment and that they're filthy. But even more importantly, the ultimate reason that sexual immorality is improper for a follower of Jesus is that it is not based on Jesus' true love. The love that he demonstrated when he went to the cross for us. Sexual immorality is not doing what is best for the other person. It is in order to satisfy an urge, experience a pleasure, or find companionship. It is about pleasure, not sacrifice. It is about it is fleeting and it is fickle, it is not unconditional. Our old ways of doing things, the world's way of doing things, according to the Apostle Paul, is improper, not to be named among us, out of place, and not compatible with the kingdom of God. It is dangerous, physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, to us and to those around us. It is life-threatening, both physically and spiritually. It is hazardous to our environment. It breaks down families, hurts innocent children, breaks up communities, ruins reputations, disqualifies leaders. It is filthy. It mars and disfigures God's perfect creation. God designed sex to be a beautiful thing within the confines of a heterosexual marriage, to procreate, to enhance intimacy, to share oneness and pleasure. When sex is outside of God's intended use, people get hurt. Relationships are damaged, There are emotional scars, and it is contrary to Jesus' culture of love. The devil always takes what God designs and he twists it in order to bring division. The devil promises that uninhibited sex is better than what God designed. Tragically, his lies always lead to pain, damage, confusion, and abuse. And we know this to be true. Sex says God designs brings unity and oneness. God's ways always result in peace, in unity, in love, in harmony and in joy. There's always a difference. Now Paul's language here is not accusatory. He's not coming down on the Ephesians. After all, they were in darkness. They were darkness, but now they are light. He is encouraging them in what they already know, that God's way is better. Life in Christ is the way that God intended for us to live walking in love is better than walking in darkness one final thing i want to mention on this topic paul has made it very clear as all through the letter that being in christ is what defines us as people we are god's children we are his beloved we are of great value and great worth so much so that he went to the cross for us The notion in our culture that sexual preference is what defines us is unfortunate. People we know are searching for identity and they're searching for belovedness, but is leading them to all kinds of unhealthy places. This is why the gospel is so vital. It speaks to the core of who we are. God chose us. He made us in his image. He preordained what gender we would be. He does this for our good and because he loves us. He loves us, he's loving, he knows what is best for us. We can trust that how he made us is no accident. We are fearfully and wonderfully made in his image. And God defines us. Being in Christ is what gives us identity. Being a child of God gives us belonging. As recipients of God's love and his forgiveness, through Jesus, we are beloved. We search all over for it, and it's all in Jesus. Sexual immorality and impurity is dangerous to our unity and it is contradictory to Jesus' love and it is not proper for followers of Jesus. Secondly, covetousness or idolatry. We read the verses in three and five. Now why is a coveter linked with an idolater in verse five? A coveter is someone who has an insatiable desire for something, for anything, for everything. They want what they do not or cannot have. As such, that thing which the coveter wants demands all their attention. It is most prominent in their thoughts and it consumes all their desires. That is why it is linked with idolatry. Idolatry is attention to, preoccupation with, and being consumed with anything other than God. Worshiping the created thing instead of the creator. Covetousness is an acceptable behavior in our world. Advertisements cater to it. Anything can be an idol. Food, money, people, alcohol, cars, games, sports. I mean, you name it, we'd go on and on. The problem is not these things. A lot of these things are gifts from God. The problem is when we, these things take the place of God in our hearts. Covetousness is dangerous and it is life-threatening to our church body. It is hazardous to our church environment. Why? because the stuff we are coveting takes our eyes off Jesus. When Jesus is not the center of our attention, his culture of love, love diminishes in our midst and our unity is in jeopardy. Coveting created things is idolatry. It's harmful to the love and unity that we share and is not proper for followers of Jesus. And thirdly, filthiness, crude jokes, foolish talking or as some translations put it, obscenity or vulgarity. Verse, verse four, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which is out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And if you skip down to verse 12, it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. It's about what we talk about. Now this is how I would summarize these these three filthiness, crude Crude jokes and foolish talking is any speech that lacks the acknowledgement that God is listening. Humor's a good thing. Jokes are a gift from God to give us laughter. Talking is actually useful, very useful. But Paul is telling us not to go back to the old way that we used to talk. Filthy, crude, and foolish talk reveals a filthy, crude, and foolish heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the Bible says, The mouth speaks. I could give you all a list of things we should avoid. You know, R-rated movies, swear words, what to post online, what not to post online, what not to tweet about, whatever. The list could go on and on. However, it's been proven that we as humans do not follow a list of prohibitions very well. This is where we use spirit-led discernment. This is how the Apostle Paul presents it. He simply says, no vulgar speech. And he lets us figure out what that is. But two questions to ask yourselves when considering what to say and what not, what, to, what not to say, what to listen to, what not to listen to, or what to watch or what not to watch. Does it administer grace to the hearer? Remember back in verse, chapter four, verse 29? Does it administer grace to the hearer? And number two, is it a gift of love? Is it a gift of love to the recipient? Or is it full of lies and filthiness and perversion? What is acceptable speech in the world is not acceptable speech for followers of Jesus. Crude and vulgar speech is dangerous to one another. It hurts one another. It can cause serious harm to each other. It is is hazardous to our joy and peace, and it is filthy, it contaminates. So filthy talk is not proper for a follower of Jesus. Now it says in here, it says, people in darkness have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. I'm going to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you want to turn there with me, you can. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Paul says almost the same thing in another passage to another church. And the Corinthian church was a church that was messed up. They were dealing with all this stuff. Their city was probably more perverse than the Ephesian city. He says this in verse 9 of chapter 6 in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So Paul says someone who persists in the activities mentioned or someone who is unrepentant in those activities and has not turned to Jesus has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. They remain separated from God because they haven't put their belief in Jesus. They have no inheritance in the kingdom of God because they are in darkness. It's not because of what they do, it's because of where they are, they're in darkness. The fruit of darkness is unrestrained, unrepentant sin. They're unbelievers. If you would consider yourself in darkness, separated from God this morning, please know that there was always hope and there is always forgiveness with Jesus. When you acknowledge that you are in the dark and repent of the sin and turn to Jesus for forgiveness, you become part of the kingdom of God, part of his family. You receive all the good blessings that we've talked about and Jesus forgives you. God adopts you into his family now, and that becomes true of you as well. I'd love to share a cup of coffee with you afterwards if that's, if that's you. As a child of God, we need never fear. Fear. Though we may get caught up in sin temporarily, God's grace and his forgiveness have washed it away. He says in 1 Corinthians, such were some of you, but now you are washed and you are different. You are in the light, you are light. We are secure in the family and in the kingdom of God as his beloved children. Now in verse 6, he says this, he says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. He says, don't let no one deceive you. Do not be deceived by empty words. There will be pastors, there will be professors, there will be respected individuals, and they'll always find ways of twisting the scriptures. They will say that we need to bend with our culture, that acceptance of sin is what love is all about. They will say that we need to follow the flow of current culture. After all, if God is sovereign, then he is ultimately directing where it's headed anyway. So jump on the bandwagon. Don't be so out of touch. Or they'll say that all roads lead to God. As long as you are sincere in your faith, stand firm in your own truth, that it will all work out in the end. All roads lead to the same place. Don't be fooled, Paul says. God is in the business of making all things new. He's about bringing light through changing lives to demonstrate his perfect love, not leaving lives in darkness where they rot and they die. People that refuse to acknowledge God, who refuse to believe in Jesus as their Savior, who refuse to accept God's forgiveness through Jesus, will experience the wrath of God. And it's a sorry state. But not all roads lead to God. The only way to the true, loving, and forgiving Father is through the way that Jesus opened to us through the death and resurrection on the cross. So he says, don't be partners or partakers with them in verse 7. Don't get caught up in what they do. Don't go back to what you were. Don't partake in the things that those in darkness partake in. Light and dark don't coexist. We were darkness. We were were to put it off. Now we are light in the Lord and we're to put that on. So we are light and we're to walk as light. Verses eight and nine. For at one time, you were darkness. That was all true of you. But now, you are light in the Lord. Walk, then, as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. What an important statement Paul makes there. How do we know if someone is darkness and is trying to deceive through empty words? Look at their fruits. What does the overarching pattern of their life look like? Are they known as kind people, loving people, forgiving people, selfless people, tender-hearted people, people who love Jesus? The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Paul, says not, Paul does not say walk in light. He says walk as light. Light produces fruitful works. Light produces fruitful works. Walking as light means that we're able to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 10, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And actually, in some translations, the word try is out of there. He says, says, discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Discern means to approve, to test, to examine, to prove something. It is using the light of God's word to examine what is in front of us. Because of the, the eyes of our hearts have been enlightened by the Holy Spirit, it is proving whether something is pleasing to God or not. In Romans 12:2, Paul' is given similar instructions. He says, "Do not be conformed to this world, like he's talking about here, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect." How many of you have walked through a Wisconsin marsh or a peat bog? Anybody? Yeah. It can be very precarious. If you take one wrong step, you can be up to your armpits in mud in a matter of seconds. Had this happen when I was younger. Not something you wanna try in the dark. But if you find yourself in a situation, as you pick your way across the marsh, you need to test each place before you put your foot there. You need to discern whether it's stable or not before you put your weight on the next step. And he says, Take no part in verse 11. Take no part. As we go through life, we should be constantly in the process of prayerfully discerning our next steps. Is it in accordance with God's word? Is it in accord with the character of God? Will it please God? Is it good? Is it right? Is it true? Is it loving? Is it stable? If it is true, good, and right, then it will be fruitful. So often we just simply trudge through the marshes of life without even thinking about our next steps, much less prayerfully discerning whether it's pleasing to God or not. We rarely even glance at our next step. We just trudge on, and many times we fall and sink up to our armpits in the wrong stuff. If we choose to do what is in accord with God's character and what pleases Him, we will be fruitful. Instead of partaking in the unfruitful works of darkness, then we will be able to expose them. Light exposes the unfruitful works. I remember getting up in the middle of the night in Papua New Guinea. I'd grab a flashlight and I'd walk around the house. Are there, a lot of, there are a lot of things, even in the house, that come out after dark. Cockroaches, giant black stink bug beetles, rats, bats. All of them are up to no good. They don't come out during the day because they don't want what they're doing to be exposed. They don't want to be squashed. As humans, we think that in darkness, no one will notice our conduct. Most affairs, most crimes, most deplorable acts are committed after dark, so they cannot be seen. We don't want to be squashed. As followers of Jesus, living living as light, there is nothing to hide. Our lives should be lives of integrity, out in the open. The same here at church as at home, that work. We read a few weeks ago John three nineteen to twenty one where it says, "Everyone who does wicked things hates the light." Remember that. Lest his deeds should be exposed. That's so true. Paul says, "If it's not pleasing to the Lord, don't take part. Don't go back to what you were. Don't stoop to that. Don't get caught up in that lifestyle. Don't do things that you're ashamed to admit. Instead, expose those things." Darkness and light don't coexist. And God created light in order to make things visible. Proverbs 4, 18 and 19 says this, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked, in contrast, is like deep darkness, and they don't know over what they stumble. I tell you what, walking around my house with the lights off is a dangerous thing. I cannot see the furniture or the doors or the Legos lying on the floor. Each of those things, by the way, can lead to serious injury if not seen. A stubbed toe, a forehead into a half-open door, or a Lego puncturing the bottom of a foot. I speak from experience. But light exposes hazards. Light reveals traps. Light illumines dangers. Light discloses what is true. We are light. We are to shine light on the works of darkness. In verse 12, he says this, For it is shameful even to speak of things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. There are many things in life, many sins and evils which are committed that are shameful even to speak of. Some folks will tell you that in order to understand what's going on in the world and to expose the things that are vulgar and evil, that we need to study what they are in detail. And I've seen friends in ministry take this advice, study certain shameful sins in detail, and then end up committing that very same sin. And it breaks my heart. We don't need to dig so deep that we know every nitty-gritty detail of every evil in our society. There are many things which are shameful and hurtful to our minds and to our emotions and to the minds and emotions of others. We need to speak, we need not speak of what is done in secret, especially in the context of God's family. Instead, we're to expose them, or as the KJV says, reprove them. It means to bring conviction by shedding light on. To bring conviction by shedding light on. When we simply walk as light, living and speaking truth of Jesus without condemning, we actually reveal darkness. We expose evil. As we shine light on the works of darkness, we must remember where this passage began. As we expose unfruitful works of darkness, it's important to remember where we came from. We were there. None of us makes the choice to be born in darkness. This is how we all come into the world. Treating people with love is vital to seeing them repent. And come to the truth. Back in John chapter 3, verse 16 to 18. It's a very familiar passage, but sometimes we forget. John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18 says, For God so loved the world, we're in darkness, we're born into darkness, but God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. Jesus did not come to condemn those who are in darkness. He came to expose the precarious, dangerous situation that they're in. They are already condemned. He came in love to shine light on their deeds and to illumine the path to salvation. Exposing darkness, then, needs to be done in love as Christ's love. Never harsh, accusatory, wrathful, boastful, arrogant, or manipulative. Our interactions with people, regardless of whether they are believers or not, should be characterized by kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiveness, truth, and love. Remember what is good and right and true? The fruit of the spirit is love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. In winning souls, in evangelizing the lost, at exposing darkness, looking at our hearts is really important. Are we more concerned with being right? Are we concerned with proving that our way is right, and their way is wrong? Or are we in love concerned about them? The destiny of their souls. As, as Jesus was. Living in darkness is dangerous. It's not a good place to be. And if we care for them in love, it's about their souls. And I've struggled with this in the past. My witnessing about Jesus was all about accusing, judging, reproving, shaming the unbelieving individual. There was no compassion and there was no love. But Jesus' love is outward focused. His life was not to prove a point point but to save people. He did not think equality of, with God to be something to be grasped. His concern was the destiny of souls. In Mark 6, 34, when he saw the crowds, he saw the crowds, all of them in darkness, and he says that, it says this, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. In walking his light, the love of Jesus is the gentle wake-up call to those in darkness. The call of Jesus' love is not harsh, It is full of compassion and gentleness. As in verse 14, it says in Ephesians 5, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. How wonderful it is when Jesus' followers are known for sacrificial and unconditional love, kindness, patience, and gentleness as we shed light on the unfruitful works of darkness. In the final phrase of our passage, translated, anything that becomes visible is light in the ESV. I believe the, K, the NIV most accurately translates that phrase as it is light that makes everything visible. It is light that makes everything visible. 2 Corinthians says this, for God who said light, let light shine out of darkness, the God who created light, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is light, and Jesus is good, loving, kind, and generous Savior. He wants everyone to experience the light of his presence because in his presence is actually fullness of joy. All the things that darkness promises never come about, but in his presence, in true light, is fullness of joy. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore why wouldn't we want to be by Jesus' side? We have the responsibility to illuminate the danger our world is in and to lovingly point to the only one who can save. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you sent Jesus into the world to illuminate the precarious situation we were in. God, we have nothing to boast in. We were darkness. We were sinful, we were at the end of ourselves, there was nowhere for us to go. But because you loved us, you sent Jesus, and Jesus made a way. He gave us salvation, he shed light on our evil works and how dangerous and, and consuming they were and how harmful they were to us and others. And then you changed us, you made us new. You gave us a new name, you made us your king, part of your kingdom, you made us your own children, and you washed us clean and you forgave us of all those things. And now we can stand forgiven in your presence. And we thank you for that. Help us to live that way every day as we go from here. Help us to live as light, to expose darkness in the love and grace that Jesus gave to us. Thank you for your word. I pray that it'll sink deep into our hearts and that it will change us. In Jesus' name, amen.